0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash film. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Friday, June 21st, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news with Slash SlashFilm Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta And joining me on today's podcast is SlashFilm Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, try Billy. Hey, everyone. Okay, in a previous episode, I asked if there was any really good prequel movies i'm now now i'm uh maybe regretting asking this because we're getting tons of emails and whatever which is good because i it means people are listening and people actually are you know the people listening are smarter than us because they're coming up with options that we did not mention uh wyatt c writes in that of all our discussions He's wondering why we didn't mention the Planet of the Apes trilogy, kicked off by Rupert Wyatt's rise and concluded with uh, Matt Reeves' Dawn and War. And I think, like, I don't know, what do you guys think? I feel like that falls into maybe almost like the Chris Nolan Batman Begins territory, where it feels almost more of a reboot than a prequel.
0: That's why I didn't mention it, but I think Wyatt is technically correct, because all of this is the it's the it's a huge it's its own thing right it's its own trilogy that leads into the existing movies so yeah. i think he's technically correct and i i feel bad that we didn't mention that because i love that trilogy so yeah, much yeah
2: it's amazing i know uh, what rise of the planet of the apes was positioned more as a prequel and then dawn and war kind of became more of their own thing under matt reeves but yeah it, it technically does count as a, a prequel and a great one at that
1: I feel like if those Matt Reeves movies didn't exist, would that move rise of the planet of the apes would have come to all of our minds. Like that feels mm. like a prequel. Um, okay. Bill G writes in rogue one is a good prequel. It's a solid standalone movie. And that's also what makes a good, great prequel. It has its own story and actually enhances the viewing of a new hope. That's what makes it good. It doesn't try to explain every tiny thing about a character. We previously were introduced to EG solo, or explanations of a monster that we didn't need a complex origin story, e.g., alien covenant. Uh, neither of which needed to be explained. Okay, so, uh, so guys, is it, it though? Is Rogue One a prequel? I mean, it is a prequel because it's set before the events of the original, right?
2: It's a prequel, but is it a good prequel? Is the question? <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> right. I like it. Um, um I don't yeah. love it
2: not a good movie but uh, i will say HD. i like what it's trying to do like i i understand where its ambitions are and i kind of see the potential but god the first half of that film is such a mess and it only slightly um redeems itself in that final like 30 minutes but i wouldn't say it's a good movie
1: yeah
0: totally on your side <sighs> on you ht
1: guy, you guys are so wrong this is a good movie and i i do agree with bill that this does make A New Hope, a better movie. Like, it makes a glaring flaw that I feel like if New Hope came out today, it's kind of like that Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, scenario where, like, I feel like people would be giving Raiders of the Lost Ark today if it came out problems about that, the the climax, you know, that Indy really has nothing to do with uh, ending that climax. I feel like. A New Hope, if it came out today, people would be, there would be so many of those like cinema sins and uh, wrong videos about, you know, the flaw in the Death Star. Like, it would be like the big thing that everybody's making fun of, right? And I feel like Rogue One finally makes that whole thing mean something.
2: (sighs) (laughs) 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 You're You're right, but the movie leading up to that. Like, tiny, tiny explanation doesn't quite warrant existence. Except yeah. for, you know, the last 30 minutes. Uh,
0: yeah, I think you're right.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think you guys are wrong. And by the yeah. way, you are in the minority here because I think Rotten Tomatoes and both uh, IMDb and Flickster and all those things are in the positive. So, uh, so Yeah,
0: but what does that really mean? That just means that people th- – that could mean – that could mean anything, Peter. Your your reliance on uh, trying to like put numbers on. I'm not on trying things. to put
1: numbers. I'm just saying like the vast majority of people liked Rogue One. I'm not saying they loved it, but they liked it. And it seems like you guys both hated it. I'm I'm baffled here. But uh, okay, and from Washington D.C. writes in. Uh, he writes in a couple uh, some suggestions for a couple movies: Star Trek, the 2009. 2009- movie from J.J. Abrams, I think uh, we all consider that a reboot and not really a prequel, and especially since it changes the timeline in a significant way. Like, So that's not really a prequel, right?
2: Yeah, I w- would put that as a prequel. I-, I would put that as a reboot, but uh, we did talk about X-Men First Class being kind of a prequel, and that sort of reboots the timeline in a way as well, so
1: yeah he mentions that yeah. he mentions that in his email and he also mentions Casino royale uh the Bond movie with Daniel Craig. is that a prequel
0: uh it depends. I guess there's the theory out there that um James Bond is like like if you if you subscribe to the theory that James Bond that all of the Bond movies are the adventures of one person <laughs> um then maybe but i think there's like theories out there that like maybe it's just a code name and that sort of explains the different actors playing and then you've got the whole m thing where like different you know judy dench is serving as m for two different actors so that that's a complication there as well so i don't know that that one's really complicated
1: yeah I, i still feel like it's more of a reboot i don't know i i i yeah, okay. I think we're gonna end it here. Uh, so, so we're not we're not gonna read any more emails of good prequel suggestions. But I appreciate everybody that sent in an email. And as always, you can send in your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm And uh, maybe we'll read your email in the mailbag. Let's get into the news. And just as we were about to hit record, some breaking news happened. It turns out that Transparent creator Jill Soloway. Is going to write and direct Red Sonia, taking over from Brian Singer. HD, what do we know?
2: Yes, so Jill Solloway has been announced by Millennium Films to be the new director for Red Sonia. After Brian Singer was dropped earlier this year, back in February, following uh, an Atlantic report uh, levying a bunch of allegations against him, and uh, he was. Uh, uh, tapped to direct the film last year, uh, despite a lot of the backlash concerning that. And finally, he was dropped earlier in February. And now Soloway, who is best known for Transparent, will be directing the film in her in their first deal since um, directing the Transparent mov- movie musical, the first feature film film deal.
1: Well, that is very cool. And it's a, a very different filmmaker than, you know, the original filmmaker, Brian Singer, who obviously had a lot of controversy behind uh, that. Ben, what are your thoughts on this?
0: I haven't seen any of Transparent. I was just looking up uh, Jill Soloway credits and they've directed like uh, I Love Dick and uh, Afternoon Delight a bunch of other things that I haven't seen so I I don't feel super um, uh, (laughs) I don't know prepared to speak about like the quality of this person's filmmaking but I do think that regardless of who it is and especially in this in this instance like Jacob was just looking this up and he says that um, that Jill Soloway is going to be Uh, you know, this person getting this job means that this is the biggest gig for a non-binary filmmaker in Hollywood history. Like, we can't even come up with another non-binary filmmaker that has been given an opportunity like this before. So, you know, the idea of um, a female lead in a comic book, you know, like a a female-led comic book movie being directed by a non-binary filmmaker... Uh, on one hand and then you've got Brian singer on the other hand I mean, it's very clear which one is the more interesting option at this <laughs> point in Hollywood history. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested You know uh, looking at it from a macro perspective. Yeah, so yeah.
2: and for oh and for a female icon like a uh, red Sonia, I think this is a much better uh, choice than Brian singer for sure 100% uh, I
1: have I, I've only seen the first season of transparent and I, I loved it uh, but I will say this like, a lot of the directing gigs, I, this is not a criticism at all, but, like, I would have never been like, let's give this person a gig directing this movie. But, I mean, that happens all the time. You know, obviously, you know, John Watts made Cop Car and is now directing Spider-Man movies. Uh, so we, we have no idea what the abilities of a certain fil- filmmaker and what their pitch was to, to the studio. I'm I'm excited to see what it looks like uh, because i was not excited for a red sonja movie before this like i mean basically red sonja is kind of like a female conan the barbarian is that correct yeah I yeah. Think so, yes. yeah and i never liked conan but so maybe maybe you know i never read up on red sonja so may- maybe there's something more there that will will grip me but um okay let's move on to the news that we had planned for this episode let's start off first with an easy a spinoff which is in development then what is going on?
0: Yeah, so Easy A was a movie that came out in 2010. You may remember it was um, Emma Stone's first big leading lady role. And uh, it's a high school movie that is basically like a, a modern-day riff on Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. And um, that movie is really great. It's I, I think it's like one of the best high school movies of the past 10 years, like right up there with stuff like The Edge of 17 and Booksmart and um, – uh, yeah, basically yeah. just those, really. I mean, especially ones with female leads. Um, it has I mean, such just, great
1: writing. It has a great performance from Emma Stone. It, it It's great.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, Variety reports that Burt Royal, who is the person who wrote the uh, original screenplay for Easy A, has been hired to write a spinoff and also direct it. So we don't really know much about the plot other than it's going to be set at the same high school And it will explore many of the same themes as the original EZA, but it will be focusing on a new group of students and teachers. So it's unclear whether Emma Stone might be coming back as some sort of cameo. I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Um... Malcolm McDowell played the principal in the first movie, so maybe he'll stick around. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church and Lisa Kudrow played teachers in the first movie. Maybe they'll have appearances, but it's it's really too early to tell um, yeah. and as far as that goes because uh, Burt Royal is still in the writing stage here. But interestingly, I was, I was doing some research into this, and uh, around the time that EZA came out, he was giving interviews talking about how his original plan was to actually adapt three classic literary works and set them at the same school so that a few characters could appear across all three movies. So the Scarlet Letter was the first one that was for EZA. And then he mentioned that Cyrano de Bergiac and uh, the mystery of Edwin Drood were the other two works that he was hoping to adapt. And Cyrano de Bergiac is about a, really talented guy who hates his huge nose. So a story about exploring body issues and stuff. Wasn't that kind
1: of adapted into that Steve Martin movie?
0: I think Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, I
1: remember, uh, what is the name of
0: that? I don't remember that. I remember the posters of that from yeah. my, and like like images from my childhood and being like, what the hell is Steve Martin doing here? And because I had no idea what Sarah yeah. de Perciac was at that point. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know. Roxanne. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, because that's uh, that's the character's love interest in the the play in that story. Um, and then The Mystery of Edward Dro- Edwin Drood is a, a Charles Dickens book that I think was never finished, but it involves, among other things, a, a choir master who is in love with his student. So you can sort of see how that could be you know ported over into a high school setting as well
1: i love this idea i love the idea of creating a cinematic universe around modern readaptations of these classics like i i, I kind of wish you know when they made uh 10 things i hate about you which was a, a kind of a adaptation of taming of the Shrew, they they could have come up with this idea uh, yeah, and there cause...
0: there was another one too. I think oh uh, the movie. O, was like a, a Teenage high school movie that was an adaptation of Othello. Oh, so it yeah. seemed All like that in high some, school <laughs> It seemed like there was some uh, some Shakespeare high school action brewing in the water, you know back in the, the whatever late 90s was early like
2: late 90s early 2000s. There's ten things there is oh and then over on the Jane Austen side there was clueless Oh, yeah,
0: oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Right. I often forget clueless is based on Jane Austen, but yeah I yeah. um, OK, let's talk about Apple TV. They are going to be adding picture-in-picture functionality alongside uh, maybe Netflix, who is testing the same functionality in desktop. HC, what is going on here, and why do I want to watch movies in picture-in-picture? Well, I
2: don't know whether you want to, but some people might. Uh, so a new tvOS software update from Apple TV that's coming this fall will allow users to have picture-in-picture functionality, which means they'll be able to stream two different programs at the same time. One will take up the entire TV screen while another will sit in the corner and play something else. Uh, not everything will be available for this picture-in-picture mode, but uh, we were talking earlier about what this would entail. Like, Why would people want to watch maybe two TV shows at the same time? But it seems like a function that is geared towards sports watching, uh, which is something that a lot of people already do. They watch several um Sports games at the same time. I don't know. I don't want sports. Maybe this is what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Netflix is also testing a similar feature that would be used on the desktop desktop version of Netflix, um, and uh, that is something that is currently being tested but is not yet being rolled out.
1: Yeah, but Netflix doesn't have sports. So what's they what's going don't. on here? Like, I, Netflix I guess just
2: wants to try everything.
1: So maybe like you're a parent who is. Sh- Showing your kid like, you know, Despicable Me for the hundredth time, and in the corner, you can watch something that you like. I don't, I don't know, I don't see the benefit of this. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, Ben, are you old enough to remember before the day of HD TVs, like that whole wave of people buying TVs? I feel like there was a wave like four or five years before that where people were buying TVs because of the new feature of Picture in Picture.
0: Uh, Very vaguely. I mean, I the only reason that I really primarily remember it and the only reason that I've ever used it in my life is because um, some of the early concert DVDs had this sort of like alternate cam functionality where you could create picture in picture content or, or, or windows rather where you could view different camera angles of the same concert at the same time. So like if you wanted to see the guitar solo or something. In a smaller window, you could watch that and then just watch the the more traditional uh, wider angle in the main window or something along those lines. So I remember sort of messing around with that stuff. And there were like there was there were buttons on the remotes back then that would let you do this because this was like the big deal with DVD players and and a lot of these early uh concert footage discs and stuff but that sort of fell away so Yeah
1: well it was pitched as a future but then when you clicked on it to switch the camera angle it would like take a few seconds to load so I feel like it would never quite took off Yeah but um So
2: the interesting thing about Netflix is that it's actually a pop out player uh, so it will oh. be yeah so it's um a you t- the big the big screen will go into a smaller screen and then you can multitask apparently which is why it's being Uh, catered towards the desktop so i guess it's for people who are watching netflix at work really
1: yeah i mean youtube already has that kind of functionality hd i know you watch a lot of netflix and stuff on your computer like is that something you could do like be browsing the web and facebook while you're watching a movie in the corner
2: i mean i have done that before when i worked in uh, an office (laughs) but uh actually watching it for work i feel like would be a disservice to whatever i am watching unless i'm watching like the new adam sandler movie or something but uh yeah i mean i could see this being frequently used because it's already being it's already kind of used in facebook for example but um yeah i don't know it feels like netflix is just denigrating its uh, content even more than it already does
1: yeah it also occurs to me, like when I mentioned that whole, you know, there was that whole wave of picture-in-picture TVs, that when Back to the Future Part Two came out, the future of TV was like this, like projection screen TV that like you could watch like twenty different channels at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like
0: that sounds like a nightmare. It yeah. ne- never
1: happened. I, I on my Apple TV, I have PlayStation View, and that allows you to watch. I think four channels at the same time, but I've never used it because what's the point? But it it yeah. is kind of cool. You can move your uh your your remote around and like pick which of the four cubes you're hearing the sound from. Hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, if anybody has PlayStation View, uh, you can you can do that. Let's move on to Kevin Feige, who is out promoting Spider-Man: Far From Home, and he's been asked about this new Black Widow movie which we think is going to be a prequel and uh he is comparing to better call saul. Ben, what is going on here?
0: Yeah, so weirdly Marvel has yet to specifically officially announce that the black movie, the black widow movie even exists even though it's filming right now. But uh Kevin Feige was asked about this film. He the the question was basically like potentially how could a black widow prequel Move the MCU forward in phase four, even though it takes place, you know, years before the events of Avengers Endgame, where spoiler alert, Black Widow dies in that movie. And he said, there's always a method and doing things in an unexpected way is something we find fun. There are ways to do prequels that are less uh, informative or answer questions you didn't necessarily have. And then there are ways to do prequels where you learn all sorts of things you never knew before. I look at Better Call Saul as a wonderful example of a prequel that almost completely stands on its own apart from Breaking Bad because it informs you about so many things you didn't know about before. So time will tell which way we've gone with a supposed Black Widow movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, when we were talking about prequels, one of the best that we came up with was Better Call Saul, which is a TV series. Uh, So I like that he's comparing it to that. But What could this possibly mean for a Black Widow movie? I mean, like, I feel like you can't introduce, like, another Black Widow or something, because why wouldn't she be around during the events of Infinity War and Endgame? Uh, H.T. Ben, do you have any ideas?
2: I wonder if he's just talking about the quality of Better Call Saul versus yeah. the actual content of it. Because Better Call Saul, in, our, in our, regards to our discussion about prequels before, is kind of the gold standard for, yeah. for prequels now. Because it just takes uh, a character who is supporting before and just runs with it and makes it so much more rich and complex. And so I still don't really know what direction that this could go in, but I'm guessing that this is just their goal in terms of how they're going to uh, turn Black Widow from sort of a mess and of an inconsistent character into something that is interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah if they do have any sort of larger mythological or, um, I don't know, plot-related plans here i'm wondering if he's maybe hinting at like a larger spy network that we don't know exists in the mcu yet or ah. maybe black widow is the other mm. perk the only person that we've seen because the mcu as we've seen you know they've done it before like spider-man homecoming is a good example where years after they'll go back and show something that happened before and and pick up a thread. And talk about the consequences of certain actions and consequences has been, you know, like that theme has been a big deal in the MCU. And and these movies building one to, one on top of the other have created a really interesting tapestry where they can they can go back in among themselves and sort of like flesh out things that um, we didn't even know were there. And I think maybe he could be hinting at something like that. You know, like there's always the chance that they go back and, and flash back to certain areas and reveal that uh, Maria Hill was a double agent, for example, or so, you know, I'm just making things up, but you know, th- there are so many different ways that they could go with the introduction of a secret spy network. Um, yeah. And, and uh, that's just off the top of my head, but there are a lot of things like that that I'm sure he and his team could could incorporate if they wanted to.
1: Well, there's also the idea, you know, Endgame introduces time travel into the mix, which makes things insanely complicated. We've talked about that on the podcast in the past. But obviously, Captain America going back in time to spend his life with his love, Peggy, uh, does raise some interesting questions. Because in that timeline, whatever that timeline is, if that's our ti- the main timeline or another timeline, uh, has not been like 100% confirmed but in that timeline, you'd think he would tell her that this organization she's starting up, S.H.I.E.L.D., is from the start being infiltrated by HYDRA. Mm-hmm. So how would that, like, maybe maybe Agent Carter sets up a, a another spy? I mean, I, I guess she doesn't come from there. I don't know. Okay, I, I'm spitballing, <laughs> and I don't have anything here, but uh, I'm interested to see how they make people care, because I feel like once the stakes are taken out of things i mean we all know that the heroes are going to save the day in every one of these movies except for infinity war um but i feel like once you say that we know that where this person is in the modern chronology of the mcu like that takes a lot of stakes out of out of the mix and i'm wondering are people going to care about this prequel so uh it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I know Marvel always
0: has like an interesting take on things. So uh but... Yeah, and Captain Marvel was a prequel too, and yeah. that one, you know, performed really really well at the box office, so mm-hmm. we'll see. Is um
1: is Captain America: The First Avenger a prequel?
0: Hmm.
2: I would say so, yeah. Yes,
1: I think so. Yeah. So, so I oh, guess Oh, there
2: we go. We have another uh one to add to the
1: list. <laughs> Wait, did Captain America appear in a previous movie? Or is it just the setting as a prequel to? Yeah, I don't think he did right. That was his first no. appearance. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 on the edge on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I know people are gonna email us now, so let's move on to DC Comics, <laughs> who are killing off Vertigo. I'm actually very disappointed by this because I Vertigo is probably like next to Image is one of my favorite comic book labels. They created things like Why the Last Man. Uh, Preacher, uh, uh, 100 Bullets. Um, H.C., what's going on here?
2: Well, DC Entertainment has shut down its Vertigo imprint. Um, And this comes just one year after it had a company-wide shakeup to attempt to rebrand it as DC Vertigo. Uh, But now it will be shutting down along with DC Zoom and DC Inc., YA, uh, to be replaced by age-labeled brands Uh, that will be called uh, DC Kids, Just DC, and the DC Black Label for 17 years and older. So all of the series that are currently ongoing under Vertigo will be either finishing up or transitioning over to the DC Black Label, where most of the Vertigo uh, titles will be heading But this is under a uh, part of a restructuring of the company's DC Comics divisions to uh, publish all of their content under the DC brand. So the problem is apparently that Vertigo doesn't have DC in it. Uh, But yeah, this ends a 26-year legacy that closes out great and classic and award-winning titles, like you said. Uh, Sandman, Preacher, Hundred Bullets, Why the Last Man, Fables, classics like Hellblazer and Swamp Thing and uh, it's it's really the end of an era.
1: I mean, I get it from a corporate perspective, you want to have like one brand, but the thing that worries me here when you create this DC Comics black label, I feel like something like 100 Bullets or Fables would probably not like like they would be like wouldn't happen today under the DC Comics, you know, quote-unquote black label. So, like, I'm worried that, like, we're not going to get these weird, more kind of independent stories without, you know, people in tights and capes and stuff like that. Um, But, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. So, uh, okay, let's uh, move on to our last story. Mark Hamill hopes that he's done with the star uh, with Star Wars after Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. Ben, what do we know?
0: Yeah, so uh, on a recent red carpet, I think it was probably for the Child's Play movie since he is the voice of Chucky in that, uh, somebody asked if... This, meaning Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, this year's movie, is going to be his last Star Wars appearance. And he said, I sure hope so. And the reporter said, why? And Mark Hamill said, well, because I had closure in the last one. The fact that I'm involved in any capacity is only because of that peculiar aspect of the Star Wars mythology, where if you're a Jedi, you get to come back and make a curtain call as a force ghost. So that seems to be confirmation that's indeed uh Luke Skywalker will be a force ghost in this movie. It's not, he's not going to appear in flashbacks, although I guess that's still a possibility, but it sounds primarily like he's going to be appearing in force ghost form. And then, yeah, the surprising thing here is that according to Mark Hamill, he's going to be done with star Wars. And this is a franchise that's been a huge part of his life for more than 40 years. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to just like lend his voice to an animated short or maybe pops up again in some sort of other small capacity outside of the movies. But um i mean talk about end of an era if mark if mark hamill is really walking away from star wars for good then that's a that's a big deal as well
1: i mean on one hand this is being mar- marketed as the end of the skywalker saga so it's like duh yeah of course he's done with star wars but on the other hand i'm very cynical and skeptical because uh you know ray i feel like after this movie do we expect like H.T., do you expect there to ever be another movie with Ray in it?
2: Hmm. I mean, not a movie, I would think, but maybe a TV show or a comic book. Uh, I would in- expect they wouldn't want to just get rid of that character for good because she is such a pivotal part. Luke Skywalker is such a pivotal part of the franchise. So, um, I-, yeah. I feel like
1: if they continue her story, she would be talking to Luke. Luke's her only, like you know tied to the Jedi and to the Force, like do you know what I mean like it would be her first force coach just like Obi-Wan was Luke's well
0: what if she does that in the Rise of Skywalker and what if that movie ends as J.J. Abrams has indicated it's going to be you know a full culmination of nine movies what if they find a way at the end of the Rise of Skywalker to close the gate basically between this realm and wherever the Jedi force ghosts are hanging out and, you know, make sure that nobody, <laughs> Spin off no the force Jedi force ghosts, ghosts. <laughs> make sure that they can never, you know, communicate with the, the earthbound plane ever again. I mean, it
1: is a huge th- deal, like, especially with last Jedi, because Yoda was able to, as a force ghost, like have physical contact he was able to create storms and light that tree on fire. And uh, doesn't he hit Luke with his cane or something at some point? Um, so that tells me that you could have effects on, on the physical world after the dead. What if the Sith figured out how to harness that power of, of being a force ghost? Um, that could be dangerous. So maybe you're right, Ben. Maybe there's a way of shutting that all down. But uh, I assume that's not going to happen. But I don't know. It'll be interesting. Anyways, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at slashhome.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Home Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashhome.com and rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and have a good weekend. Cool, guys.